0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Get Italian Football News podcast. I'm your host, Sam Brooks. I'm joined today by Emmett Gates, Raphael Jacobin and Tom Serap. And of course, we have to start, first of all, with the couple of derbies that we had this weekend. First of all, we're going to start with the derby d'Italia from Sunday night. Um, Going to come to you first, Emmett. Um, First of all, welcome to the show. And I know as a Juventus uh, fan, you'll have a lot to say about this, but what exactly did go wrong for Juventus last night? And do you feel this is perhaps the start of, of, perhaps a signal that their dominant reign could be coming to an end?
1: (laughs) Um, Where to start on last night's disaster? Um, I think it's maybe a little bit premature to say that it could be the end of the cycle, but... I do think at this point, I mean, we're sitting, it's the middle of January, and I do think Juve and Andrea Perlo are making it extremely difficult to pull pull things back and to, to retain their title. I mean, they're making it as difficult as possible. Um, I just think, I think Pirlo... Pirlo's game plan was wrong from the get-go I think his his tactical selection he basically had he stuck with a 4-4-2 which is kind of what he's been doing he settled on that formation maybe the last six weeks seven weeks after tinkering with a lot of different systems at the beginning of the season Uh, but I think the personnel that he put especially in midfield um, really didn't materialise didn't pay off and I think Pirlo was outcoached by Antonio Conte last night, which in some, in, some, in some regard is kind of to be expected considering the wealth of experience that Conte has at this point, you know, in comparison to Pirlo. But Pirlo didn't do any favours, I think, by starting um, Adrian Rabio and Rodrigo Bentancourt in midfield. Juventus, I, I've written about this before in the past, Juventus have a lot of semi. Type of midfielders like Rodrigo Pantancor Rabio, Arn Ramsey, Artur. Technically, they're very good, small, you know, small, nimble players, technically very good, but there's not a lot of dynam- dynamism in that uh, between the four of them. Only Western McKinney offers something a bit different. And really, Juve's midfield has been neglected almost since maybe 2015, when Pirlo himself walked off into the sunset, into the NLS, They sold a Toro Vidal, coincidentally enough, to Bayern Munich. And then a season later, Paul Pogba leaves. And then Claudio Marchisio was gently phased out. If you think back to five years ago, midfield was Juve, arguably Juve's strongest area. And now, you know, in 2021, it's by far and away the weakest area of the pitch. And Inter bossed the midfield last night, especially Nicolo Barella, completely, he took Juve apart almost by himself, let alone how good Marcelo Brazovic was and how good, ironically enough, how good Vidal was. Arguably Vidal's best game since he's joined Inter was against his old club. And I just think, you know, Juventus had 51% uh, possession yesterday But it just shows you how useless possession can be. Because, I mean, you tell me, you know, who looked the better side when a possession of the ball entered it? Juventus could have played for 180 minutes and never really looked like scoring. It was very, very slow. And it's something that Pirlo talked about in post-game. He says there was no, essentially there was no anger. There was no fury in the team. It was all very futile possession that went nowhere, it was slow, it was predictable. And that's because you have Rabiot and Core in the middle and Ramsey, who is supposed to play in between the lines, but there's no there's no pace there, there's no, there's no dynamism. Like I said, it's just very, very pedestrian and Conte and Inter took full advantage. Yeah, they certainly did. As you say, the sort of glaring
0: difference between the sides was in that midfield with... Um, uh Brozovic and Vidal having very strong games and Nicolò Borella, possibly with the individual performance of the season i think he was he was so dominant in that midfield got an assist and a goal and Raphael i'm going to come to you next was this the first into performance of the season where you thought that's a Scudetto winning side right there that they really could do it this year
2: i'd agree that it was um I think they've definitely come into their own over the past few months especially when I mean when you look at their form um in the mid it was definitely the match was definitely won in the midfield battle and I, mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's it's necessarily a match that's going to set the tone for this for the end of the season sort of the the running for the Scudetto because you know you shouldn't you shouldn't count Juventus off there you know they if they beat Napoli if they're game in hand, they'll be four points off the top. So it's it's far from over. But yeah, I would definitely say on the basis of, of that match, Inter are probably the favourites. As as they probably have been for the last few months, actually. I think the only the only sort of caveat I would say is that there is a lot of sort of behind the scenes commotion at Inter right now, which might might spill onto the pitch. It doesn't look like it has done so far, but you never know because there is a lot of a lot of tumultuous um, goings on with the uh, with the ownership, the um, the majority shareholders possibly selling their part of their stake. With uh, with the news coming out today, actually, that the the club might well will probably change their badge and their name, which you know it's it's not necessarily they're not necessarily massive changes, but they are things that might contribute to sort of. A general atmosphere that might seep onto the pitch. So I wouldn't say I wouldn't say Inter are necessarily going to, you know, from this point on they're going to go and march on to the title. But they're definitely the most well prepared. I think they've what they've done well is that they're, they've weathered the sort of the winter period better than the other sides, which will definitely help them because obviously they're 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 not going to be in playing any any European competition whereas others will. So they have a sort of a lighter, a lighter workload, um, going into the end of the season. Yeah, it's 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 one of those. I I mean they're not gonna they're not gonna play it to that standard week in week out. It's you know it was a one off, but it was clearly a a match where sort of we saw. I mean we saw before the start, um, before the before the game, uh, Pirlo in his press conference. He was saying that. You know, I learned a lot from uh, from Conte. He inspired me to become a manager, and you you could tell that it was really just you know the master and the apprentice. I think Conte showed, you know, he showed that he is he is worthy of being the the highest paid manager in the in the league because he is he can bring about that sort of tactical tactical performance and outclass his other his 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 opposite number as he did. So, I mean, yeah, I, I would say it's they're definitely. They're definitely on the right track, and they are favourites for this Giretto. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily rule out anything, anything unforeseen happening.
0: Yeah, there's always stuff going on behind the scenes, as you say. Of course, the Christian Eriksen situation hasn't been completely cleared up yet. Well, at all yet either. So. Yeah, certainly things can still go wrong. Okay, I want to move on to the other derby from the weekend, which we saw on Friday night. This was equally as one-sided, actually, if not more, with Lazio beating Roma 3-0. And Tom, was this the game that proved to you that Lazio, when they get pretty much their best side out on the pitch, are a match for anyone in Serie
3: I mean, definitely, if they all put the effort in. I think this was a massive win for Lazio. And i think the main reason they were able to win was that everyone was able to step up for the occasion so it's luis alberto and milenkovic savic both had really good games and i'm not just saying that because luis alberto scored twice but you could tell that all the players wanted to perform and impress and really push on for those european uh, places and Everyone was just—you could just tell when you are watching the game—that everyone was running faster, calling for the ball, and especially I really enjoyed seeing Caicedo being playing much more confidently as well. And I think the two goals in back-to-back games against Fiorentina and Parma has really given him the confidence after that dry spell. So whereas in the past it was always we always said that Lazio is just uh, you know a one-man team with O Delay, but I think when other players also step up and support and have shots as well and really push forward, then you can really tell that, you know, this could be another side of Lazio. And I think that was the exact opposite of Roma, where Roma at the start of the season, it was all about everyone was having shots, Pedro and uh, Nicotaria and Dzeko, whereas I think that Roma, on the other hand, have become a bit Lazio-like in the sense that they're very. Over reliant on Zeko for goals, even even so more so when since his return from injury. So, yeah, I think this could be a turning point for Lazio, but I'm not sure what the depth is of this team beyond the starting eleven. So, if injuries do come in, they could be facing serious problems. But otherwise, it was yeah, it was a amazing win, very comfortable.
0: Yeah, we've seen that this season, Lazio have struggled to find any sort of consistency because as you say, outside of that first sort of 13, 14 players, there's not a great deal there. But Emmett, um, I want to come on to you about Roma. And they've now suffered three very heavy defeats against Napoli, Atalanta and now Lazio. Why do you feel they struggle so badly in these big games? And was this the most damaging out of those three defeats for them this season?
1: Oh, yeah, I think unquestionably... um whenever you lose a derby and you lose it in that fashion, you know, because let's be clear about it. Roma were listless through, not even for certain periods for the, arguably for the whole game, they were awful. There was not a single point in that game where Lazio were on the back foot or Lazio were in danger. Lazio were entirely comfortable from the first minute to the last and to lose a derby in that fashion you can only just imagine what the scenes would have been like had there been fans in the stadium. Um, but I think in terms of how Roma uh, play against the bigger sides in Serie I did some digging in the aftermath of Friday night's game. And since Fonseca took charge, what, about a year and a half ago, Roma have only won three, three games against, say, the big six. Say you've got Juve, Inter, Milan, Lazio and Atalanta, Napoli. The big six, they've only won three times in 18 months under Fonseca. And one of those games was against Juventus at the tail end of last season. And by, by that point, Juve had won the league and they sent out basically an under-23 side. So really, you've only two wins against the big six. And I just think there's a mentality issue with Roma in the bigger games, maybe it's an inferior inferiority complex. I'm not 100% certain, but they generally underperform. I mean, if you look back to the 4 the 0 defeat against Napoli, obviously for Napoli it was different because it was just in the wake of the death of Diego Armando Maradona, and they were always going to put out, they were always going to play for him and get a victory for him. But Roma were awful in that game, too and against Atalanta earlier on in the season, they were equally as bad. And the, the, there's a saying in Italy, you know, championships are won in the provinces. And that's kind of, and I'm not saying that Roma are going to win the Scudetto, but that's how Roma are sitting in the top three and the top four. They're beating they're beating the teams that they should beat, the smaller sides. But when it comes to a game against the big, the big six, they usually wilt. And I think that's a mentality issue because I mean if you look at Roma's squad, there's an abundance of high quality players there from Henrik McIntyre to Eden Jacko to Pedro to Lorenzo Pellegrini to Jordan Verritu. Roma should be putting in, you know, they're not necessarily winning all of the games against, you know, the sides in the upper echelons of the table, but they should be winning at least one or two more than they're doing at the minute. But they just capitulate in any of the games and I th- for me I think it's more of a mentality issue and there's been rumours today that Fonseca will go at the end of the season with Maurizio Sarri perhaps coming in so it definitely this defeat hurt more than any others I would say for from a Romanista point of view
0: Yeah certainly a very damaging
1: defeat Um, they did just seem
0: to fall apart more and more as the game went on in individual errors no real style of play towards the end it was it was quite shocking to see Um, I'm now going to move on to another game which you know bit of a uh, trend this weekend another one-sided match Napoli 6 Burantina 0 Raphael I know we spoke last week about how that late win for Napoli against Udinese may be a turning point do you think we were right, and that that Napoli have really turned a corner now and can start to put a run together?
2: Yeah, definitely. I think things do seem to be shaping together. Um, obviously, you know, in the context of Fiorentina really not being really not being at the races, here, you know, there is a bit of an asterisk over that. But I think they did well when they were one nil up in, the, in the, at the start of the second half. They managed to weather what was seemed to be a bit of a storm. From uh, from Fiorentina, you know they did have a few chances to to equalise, which obviously never never came to fruition. But I on a on a more general scale, a lot of their players do seem to be getting back into form and sort of things things are clicking together a bit more. Uh, we saw with Insigne, who who has been very inconsistent this season, he put in arguably his best performance this this season so far in his um. His dribble, his his sort of solo run for the third goal was very good, but then yeah, well, I mean we're seeing we're seeing sort of the usual suspects this season. They're putting in good performances as well, like Zielinski or or, um, or I mean the fact that they have managed to carve out some results during that poor runner form and sort of. Wait, well, wait, wait until all the um all of their big players sort of started to start to get back into form. It's very impressive. I think now, you know, I would I would place them as favourites to well to get to get, get a Champions League spot. The title is a bit out of reach reach for now, but yeah, I think things are looking very positive for for Napoli right now. I I think Gattuso does seem to have uh, sort of managed to get things sort of clicking together and. I know. Yeah, he's had his. Um, I think the December sort of, sort of December slash start of January sort of rubbers might have been a bit down to his um, the illness that he had with his eye as well, which seemingly had a bit of a, bit of a negative effect on the squad from from what you were saying. So I think th- things have sort of gone back into order, and they've managed to they've managed to you know put put things right. I think and. It's, you know, I think mean, that they're going into the, um, to well, their, the, uh, the Juventus game with probably better momentum than, uh, than than their opponents. And I can see them taking a win.
0: Yeah, certainly, certainly Napoli do seem to have uh, turned things around in the past week or so. We'll have to see if that continues. But for Fiorentina, you know, they beat, Juventus just before the winter break and we thought perhaps that was a turning point for them and Frandelli but it seems they're back to square one now is is that how you see things Tom?
3: Yeah I mean we always discuss the eight-old question what is Fiorentina doing wrong and I don't know just watching the game it's just not just because of the high scoreline it just became evident that their defence is not up to scratch I mean you clearly saw when Wendosano's goal that Igor, Patea and Milankovic have no chemistry whatsoever. They're just standing in line, waiting, just waiting, and not really closing down defenders. And we always talk about how their high profile attack is underperforming, but the defenders need to play their part as well. And they just no, no one was really closing down, and which in turn afforded Napoli so many opportunities to shoot like even close range from far back as well. And you just have to wonder, like, well, what can Fiorentina do? Because who would you play instead uh, as well? Because we've seen that Balero uh, hasn't been great. You know, guy hasn't set the world alight either. And Kwame has dropped off as well since last season. So I feel Frandelli in a bit of a difficult situation right now because because this is the team. There isn't really anyone else he could bring in to change things. And honestly, it could have been much more. I don't think they'll go down because they there are worse teams below them, but they will not definitely not meet pre-season expectations. Um I think there is just no connection whatsoever between the attack and the, the just the whole team is just it's just not functioning properly the way it should be.
0: Yeah, we've said this plenty of times, that collection of players are definitely underachieving and it is difficult to put your finger on exactly what is going wrong. But one thing that is for certain is something is going wrong. Um, So we were talking just a few moments ago about how Napoli perhaps now are favourites for the top four. Another side who are battling for a top four spot is Atalanta, of course. They were held nil-nil by Genoa, perhaps a slightly surprising result, but Genoa have also been in very good form recently. Emmett, was this perhaps the first game since being frozen out that Atalanta really missed Papu Gomez and perhaps that little bit of magic that could have turned the game in their favour?
1: Um, I don't think so. I, I just think it was one of those games where Atalanta have a habit that they they, they, they spread it. Over the last several seasons, you know, despite despite them flying high and killing teams four, five, six, seven nil, they do get games where you think you look at the fixture beforehand and you think Atalanta win that no problem, and then it ends up in a, a defeat or a draw. Uh, what was surprising is that they actually failed to score because you never associate Atalanta and goalless draws ever <laughs> since Gas <Gasparini laughs> took over. Um, but I think no, I don't think they really missed Papu Gomez. I just think it was one of those, just one of those matches where they just couldn't score. I think with Ilicic now with Joseph Ilicic back in the kind of form that he showed before he took his leave of absence, and you still got Ruzan Malinowski there and uh, Matteo Pesina. I think they they have enough cover. I mean. For me, Papa Gomez should be playing week in, week out, all day, every day. But obviously the situation between Gasparini and Gomez is untenable and divorce is on the cards, you know, maybe either this month or at the end of the season. But I don't think it was a case of them missing Gomez. I just think it was just one of those games where Genoa was doggedly resolute at the back. And Davide Barladini, was always going to do a steady job with Genoa. You know, he's not the flashiest of coaches. He's kind of like a, a cheaper version of Stefano Pioli. He's steady the ship. It'd be nothing flash, nothing fancy, but he will get results. And I think that, that this is just another example of that. Yeah, I was going to move on to Genoa
0: and, and get your thoughts on them, Rafael. It seems, you know... A month ago, maybe six weeks ago, they looked pretty pretty much doomed to be honest under Orlando Moran. Um, since Balladini's come in, they've really turned things around and now and now look like they probably will stay up. Can you put your finger on exactly what it has been, or is it just, you know, the sort of usual bump that you get once a new manager comes in?
2: I think it is partly down to that. Also, I mean, he is a familiar face at the club. I mean, there's this fourth spell. But um, yeah, I think he's generally just steadied the ship. He's got the defense a bit more, a bit more compact. I think he's he's managing probably to get their sort of army of lone players to play a bit a bit better than than they were than they were previously. So I think it is a combination of a of a lot of things. I think they will be relatively safe. I don't I can't see them being dragged down too far. Uh, in the same way that they, they were last season, I think they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna stay up. I think the Atalanta, though, you know, I, I think this was a, a bit predictable because, after all, you know, we talk a lot about how Gasparini's system works with any players, and that's why it's, you know, that's why it's so good, that's why it's so entertaining. But the fact remains that, you know, with any side, no matter how good the system is, it it will obviously look worse without their best player, and I think that's what's been happening. I think even though they have managed they have managed in the past few weeks to get some you know resounding wins without him, I still think, you know, the fact that he he isn't there it means there are gonna be bumps in the road for them. And I mean I'm I'm not saying they should necessarily go out and splash the cash on a on a replacement because obviously he is he does seem to be leaving. But I think that is something that's good, that we're going to need to keep in mind, especially when um, when rotation comes into play further on in the uh, in the rest of the season.
0: Yeah, certainly. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how Atalanta do cope, because it does seem that in the next couple of weeks, their talisman, their captain will, will be off. But we're, obviously, we're not sure where right now. And so now I want to move on to another side who may be actually down there with uh, Genoa this season, uh, and that's Crotone. Well, in fact, Crotone are a bit further below uh, Genoa. But they got a resounding win this weekend, 4-1 against uh, Benevento, perhaps a slightly surprising result. But I'm going to come to Tom. And was this the kind of result that makes you think that there isn't actually a sort of really poor side in Serie A this year and that really anyone still has a pretty decent chance of staying up this year?
3: It's a very difficult question, this, because we always talk about the teams above, oh, they may be able to, you know, stay up. And then this team or Palmer or Univaze may be able to stay up. So that's why it leaves me in a difficult position with Protona, because I think my gut feeling is that they won't stay up. Uh, Because I don't think the result... I start, like tells the whole story because Benevento were in the game to a certain extent. They missed a lot of chances and Cortona needed a couple of good saves by Corda to achieve the scoreline. But there has been some improvement in, with Cortone. So Cortone have been finding Simi a lot more and he got a couple of goals. And it's always nice to see Simi score um, in Syria because he's been always been one of those strikers that, you know, too good to, go to Serie B. He won, he was top scorer last year and he had an amazing season the season before that as well. But then he always struggles to get on the score sheet in Serie A, which means that he doesn't really get any offers. You know, when Petona get re- got relegated the last time, he never really got any offers from lower Serie A clubs to play for them. So hopefully this is the start of something positive for him and his career. But we, even though... Benevento are higher up than Cotone. We still have to remember that they did beat a side that they played against last season as well. So they both of them are still just recently promoted sides. However, I think the next two games Cotone will be critical cool, because if they can get a result against this awful Fiorentina side, who have been having so many problems left, right and centre, and then something out of their game against Genoa as well the following week. I think, you know, they would have a much better chance of avoiding relegation. So it really depends on the next two games, I think.
0: Yeah, certainly an important fortnight or so coming up for them. And two more sides who are in that sort of relegation scrap faced each other this weekend. Torino could only manage a nil-nil draw against Spezia, despite Spezia being down to 10 men for over 80 minutes. We've seen over the last couple of weeks, Emmett, um, Spezia picking up a win away at Napoli and then a draw here against Torino with 10 men for long periods. Do you think that sort of spirit that they've got will be enough to keep them up? Or do you think perhaps that little lack of quality that they have will ultimately see them get relegated?
1: Yeah, I think, I think, you know, for all the heart that they have and determination, I do think that lack of quality, especially in the final third, I think, will will be enough to, to see them go down to see Spazia relegated. Um the, the this match wasn't one for the purists. It um Truth Patrol it was hard to sit through it at times. Uh, Torino I, I don't think there's a manager in Italy whose stack has fallen as sharply in the last 18 months as Marco Giampalo. He was when he got the Milan job he was kind of seeing that he was gonna thrust Milan into this into the upper, you know, back into the top four playing this nice swashbuckling style of football. And I mean he was a disaster. A Milan lasted what four months. He was sacked. And now he, he's took over Torino and Torino look toothless. And he and John has come out and said since that he can't implement his style of football at Torino because he doesn't have the player sword. It. And it's kind of evident because they're sitting bottom of the table or second from bottom third bottom they're in the relegation zone and they've only had two wins this season and you know you can only rely on Andrea Bellardi for so long but the man needs support and to be honest the way the way both sides played in the, in this game it wouldn't surprise me if both of them were were relegated at the end of the season or there were one of them would went, went down because this was not a game that would live long in the memory. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's that's a
0: fair roundup of that one. Um, We're now going to move on to the final sort of three games of the weekend. I'd I'd like to point out, we're recording this sort of early evening Monday. So Cagliari Milan is on later. uh, So we're not going to touch on that one. But um, another game, Palmer away at Sassuolo. Raphael, they came so close to picking up a really important win. Sassuolo got a late penalty to draw one all, but was this a positive step for Parma under a new manager in De coming back for his second spell at the club? Was this the sort of re- uh, performance that shows you that Parma might just be okay this season?
2: Definitely, I think. I think that you can definitely see a massive improvement in their in their performances, even though it doesn't really look like the new manager wants really wanted to be back, but. I think yeah, I, I think Parma are definitely on the right track now. Um, but on the other hand, um, like you're looking at looking at the match, looking at the performance, I think Sassuolo are having quite an awful month. Like it's going under the radar a bit, but they're really not doing. They're really not doing that well. They haven't really sort of captured the uh, the spark that they had at the start of the season. I mean. Just a few days before the uh, the the Palma match, they lost in the uh, in the Coppa Italia to Spal to Ferrara. Before that, they lost to Juventus. Before that, they lost to Atalanta. Before that, they lost him They lost to Milan. This, I mean, they, they've really they're really starting to slip down the table. And you know, it, it's I mean, it's hard to watch because we saw a few months ago they were you know they were second. They I mean they were they were even they were even top of the league at one point in October, I think. Before uh before Milan play the game in hand, but I think clearly there's a clearly there's an issue at uh, Sassuolo right now. they they're really not be, they've really not been able to to sort of yeah just recapture that sort of energy, that sort of exciting style of play that they've been able to they've been able to to bring to us so far this season. And it's going to be quite hard. It's going to be quite hard for them if they're not if they're not able to be well. They've got Mattia next, um, but after that they've got a relatively Sort of a nicer run of games. They've got Cagliari, Spezia, Udinese, Bologna, and then Torino five relatively winnable games. So hopefully, hopefully they can get a decent amount of points from that from that run. Because otherwise, I I fear they're gonna they're gonna slip down the table even more. Which which would be a shame because you, you look at the way that cervi has gotten playing it really would be a shame if they weren't able to, to at least mount a challenge for a, for a Europa League spot.
0: Yeah, it's a very, very interesting one with Sassarolo because they did start the season on fire. And looking at the table, they're still actually only four points outside that top four currently. But you're right, they do seem to certainly have lost momentum over the past month or so. Um, the next game I want to touch on is Sampdoria Udinese. Um, Sampdoria won this one 2 1. They've now moved into the top half, actually, a bit under the radar. But Udinese find themselves only three points above the bottom three. They've got a midweek game against Atalanta, which obviously won't be easy. Tom, do you worry that they could be sucked into that bottom three? They've sort of been hovering just above it the last couple of seasons or so. Could this be the year where Udinese maybe go down?
3: I mean, it really depends. I think the way I'm seeing Udinese right now playing. On the last, in the last couple of weeks, it just, the biggest factor at the moment, it seems, is whether Kevin Lasagna and Depaul, both of them can drag them out, you know, together out the whole team out of this kind of slump. Cause in front of goal, they're just reliant on these two figures. And when you just watch the pool play on the ball, he should just be an example to fellow players uh, around him because he's always wanting the ball, always fighting it, fighting for it and pushing forward, tracking back, defending. And I'm not seeing this kind of energy from the players around him. And I understand he's he's been at the club for a while and he's he's vice-captain as well. But at the same time he should be an example to other players on how they should play for the badge in a way. Because you've got older players there like Pereira and uh, Samir as well, who just just don't see that kind of energy the way that you see from the pool. So I think it's similar with a, like similar to Lazio, if the other players can gather around and fight for the team, I think they wouldn't be finding themselves in this situation. And then you look at Euthanasia's next two fixtures, like you mentioned, they're playing Atalanta midweek and then they're playing into Milan on the weekend, struggling to see whether they're you know going to get any points from those two games. So it could look really bad for them by the end of the week.
0: Yeah, certainly a tough week coming up for them. And if they play like they did on the weekend, they won't be getting any points from those games. Um, and final, final one from uh, from the weekend uh, that we've had so far was uh, Bologna Verona. Uh, this was a really important result for Bologna. Actually, you've been on a you've been on a poor run, and they kept a clean sheet, which, as we know, is a rarity. What, what do you make of Bologna, Emmet? You know, they seem to be a very exciting side when they're at their best, but equally when they're not at their best, they're, they're one of the weaker sides
1: in the league. So,
0: so how do you sort of assess assess them?
1: Yeah, they're, Bologna are wildly inconsistent this season. At the beginning of the season, I had Fiorentina and Bologna. I had them pegged, you know, perhaps pushing into the Europa League places, in that you know seven eight ninth position in the table, fighting for European football, but both of them have just have been letdowns for the majority of the season, to be honest. And this was a vital win for Bologna because Mihailovic really needed it off the back of some really poor results. Um, they have, you know, if you look at the if you look at the Bologna a bit like Fiorentina as we talked about earlier. If you look at the Bologna squad, the likes of Riccardo Warselini, uh, Musabaro. Roberto Soriano, there's they have very good players for Serie A, very very good players for the league, and they should be doing a lot more. But defensively, they're just a bit like Fiorentina. You just don't know what you're going to get from one game to the next. And um, obviously, Orsolini scores with a penalty and went over Hellas Verona, and it was actually surprising to see Bologna keep a keep a clean sheet considering how leaky their defence has been this season. Um, But yeah, Bologna have been very, uh, much like Fiorentina, have been very underwhelming this season. And I expect more, considering the quality that they have.
0: Yeah, certainly. And we'll have to see if they can string any sort of run together, because based on what we've seen so far this season, it wouldn't be a surprise if they went and lost again this weekend. And well, and they've got a tough game. They play Juventus, of course, who will be looking to bounce back immediately from what happened on Sunday. Um, and so the last, last little section, I just want to look ahead to those upcoming games. And I'll come to you first, Raphael. Um, out of the games coming up this weekend, which stand out to you as ones that we should be keeping our eye on particularly?
2: Well, I think the big one this weekend is going to be Milan against Atalanta. I think... Obviously it depends on the uh, it depends on the, the the match tonight sure against um against Cagliari but it will be the chance for Milan to sort of assert their ascendancy at the halfway point of the season. But at the same time against a very tough opponent, Atalanta, who are still trying to find their feet in um you know, without without Papu Gomez. So I mean one thing we can expect from that match is goals. I think Atalanta will sort of you know they had an off they had an off day uh, last weekend, but I think they'll definitely have their spark back uh, this time around against a very good a very good Milan defence. So I think yeah we'll we'll see a lot of we'll see a lot of end to end action in that match. And the other one I want to point out is uh, is on Sunday, uh, Lazio Sassuolo, which will also be a, a very interesting game because will Lazio be able to bring in that bring over that momentum from the Derby win? To be, uh, to be well, to be a close rival in the table, and sort of get themselves back in the uh, back in contention for a Champions League spot. So definitely, a lot of a lot of interesting games this weekend.
0: Yeah, it does does certainly uh, look to be a very interesting one. Uh, and how how about you, Tom? Is there a particular match that stands out for you?
3: I mean, in addition to what Rafael said, obviously the FIFA Coppa Italiana will be midweek hopefully we can get the fingers crossed the podcast out beforehand juve versus napoli so a a replay of the final and that should be an exciting end-to-end game because we've seen we've discussed how juventus do have difficulties in midfield and i think napoli's front three and the zielands pushing up as well i think they could cause a lot of problems so it that should i definitely be a much more exciting game than the game that was that happened over the summer when we saw how Napoli were still in that kind of phase where they were playing more defensive and trying to counter Juventus. And another interesting game that might you know, go under the radar would be watching Genoa versus Kayari. I think those two sides... Well, it depends how Kayari do against AC Milan, obviously, tonight. But that could be a true test of whether they are relegation rivals and whether Genoa can sort of maintain this good run of form.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. And, and of course, as you said, a very interesting game coming up tonight with a struggling Cagliari against Milan who can open up that gap at the top of the table with, a, with another win. OK, well, that concludes the episode. Thanks a lot, uh, everyone, for joining me. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll catch you again next week. Bye-bye.